All right. If you got your Bibles again, Genesis chapter three, we're going to start in verse six. Study today starts with this question. Have you ever tried to cover your tracks on a mistake before? You ever tried to cover your tracks on a mistake before? The best example I can give to you of that has to be the flipping of the couch cushion. You ever done that before or at least been tempted to do that? There's a spill or there's a stain. Now these newfangled couches that they have, you can't really do that. But old school couches, the top and the bottom looked exactly the same. And there was always that temptation, especially when you were a kid. If a stain was on the couch, just flip it over and then it's somebody else's problem for later in the future. Here's the problem. We call that a cover up. A cover up is when you make the decision, I've made the mistake, but rather than atone for it, rather than clean it up, rather than do the work that it would take to bring things back to level, instead, we just pretend like it didn't happen. Uh, There was a great movie back in the day. There's two types of people in this world. Those of you who like Adam Sandler movies and those of you who hate them, all right, okay? You're in one of those camps. I personally am a Will Ferrell fan too, and so I do like Adam Sandler. There was a movie called Big Daddy came out back in the day. If y'all remember Big Daddy, uh, one of the famous scenes is uh, uh, the kid that is staying with Adam Sandler spills milk all over the floor. And do you remember how Adam Sandler cleans it up? He just gets a whole bunch of newspaper and sets it on top of it. Now, if you have ever spilled milk before and left it anywhere in your house where you have children, understand, right? If milk is left anywhere, whether you know about it or not, you will know about it eventually, right? That smell starts to seep up. And I'm telling you, you can't just cover it with newspaper. Uh, It's something that has to be atoned for, all right? It is something uh, where, again, repentance has to take place. You must confess it, renounce it, clean it up so that it doesn't stink up your house. What's so interesting about the human condition is it's ingrained within us to hide and to run away when a problem strikes. When we mess up, our first fight or flight instinct is really to fly and to hide and to cover up and pretend like it didn't happen. This uh, has been the problem since the very beginning. Look at Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. It is connected to the very first sin that ever takes place in human history. Verse 6, it says, When the woman saw the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it. Now stop right there for just a minute. The Lord has told Adam and Eve not to eat of the fruit on this one specific tree, but what Eve makes the decision to do is she rationalizes, look at the rationalization again, She sees that it's good, it's pleasing to the eye, it's desirable for gaining wisdom, it's good for food. I mean, she rationalizes this sin, even though the Lord has specifically said not to do it, she rationalizes it out, she takes it, and then she also shares it with her husband, who very willingly participates. Look at what it says in verse 7. It says, Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves to co- together and made coverings for themselves. I don't know they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking through the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord. Underline they hid from the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called out to him, man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and so I hid. Now stop right there for just a minute. This is not the 
sermon for today, but it is the lead-in to say this. From the very beginning, when we feel shame, when we do something wrong that we know we have done wrong, the very first instinct we've had since the beginning of humanity is to cover it up, to hide, and then to do our best to just pretend it didn't happen. The problem is it's a burden on your soul. It's something that you wear. It's something that honestly, anyone who interacts with us can see that something is wrong. It's one of the reasons why Jesus says later that if the eyes of a person are good, then their whole being is good. But if their eyes are filled with wickedness, the idea is not that you can just tell everything about a person by their eyes, but the burden that we carry from unconfessed sin is something that we wear out our eyes. Now, I've got good news for you today. Are you ready for this? If you don't take anything else away from today, write this down. The only way to atone for our sin is to allow Jesus to take it. Let me say that again. The only way to atone for our sin is to allow Jesus to take it. What a powerful thing for us to remember as we go in and talk about repentance. You have access through the power of the cross and the power of the resurrection. We have access to the God who created the universe to atone for our sin so that we don't have to carry that weight forever. Hallelujah and amen for that truth. And yet, for even believers in Jesus Christ, we still mess up, we still have problems, and we still try to cover it up when we know the solution. There's an old saying that my mentor John Strapazon used to say, if you mess up, confess up, get up, and move on. Let me say that to you one more time. If you mess up, confess up, get up, and move on. That point of acknowledging your sin and then confessing it, that you truly own the fact that you spilled the milk, that you ruined the couch cushion. It's one thing when you're kids and it's spilling milk and ruining couch cushions. Can I just speak from experience? It's another thing when you truly feel like the mistake you made messed up someone else's life. Those are adult problems. I worked in youth ministry before coming to pastor here at Waterfront. And can I just tell you, I thought that youth had problems. Man, we adults have problems, you know what I mean? I'm not talking about just little kid junk. I'm talking about problems where we really mess up one another's lives. There is hope today. We give it to Jesus and we can be set free. And when we don't give it to Jesus, it's in the words of Beauty and the Beast, a tale as old as time. It always goes the same way. That's the story of Ahab. Look with me, if you will, now at 1 Kings chapter 21. And we're going to address this question today. 1 Kings 21, starting in verse 15. What happens when we cover up our sin instead of giving it to Jesus? What happens when we cover up our sin instead of giving it to Jesus? There are some of you today who truly need to repent. And if that's you, you're going to think, man, I, Pastor Zach is reading my mail today. I'm not. The scripture is true since the beginning of time, and there is nothing new under the sun. We struggle with the same things in the same way all the stinking time. Look with me, if you will, at the process here. What happens when we cover up our sin instead of giving it to Jesus? Now, we start off with the study from last week, we start off with a situation in 1 Kings chapter 21 where, uh, remember, uh, Ahab 
has a neighbor named Naboth, and Naboth has a vineyard uh, that has been given to his family as the inheritance since the, uh, since the Israelites have come into the promised land. And if y'all remember from last week, uh, the way that it goes down, He's sad about it. His wife Jezebel finds out that he's sad about it. She wants to get back in on the uh, royal court uh, in his good graces because she's had a lot of losses politically up until this point. And so what happens? Jezebel then says to King Ahab, don't you worry about this. I'll take care of it and we'll make sure that that vineyard belongs to you. Well, the way she does that is she sets up Naboth and sets up two scoundrels to uh, stand up against him at a banquet and say that he has cursed both God and the king, even though that's not true. Then they take him outside of town and they stone him to death. They brutally murder him for crimes that he did not commit. And then all of a sudden, word comes back and Jezebel says to Ahab, go get your vineyard. I took care of it. I mean, this is a mob hit if you've ever seen one, all right? Now look at what happens. 1 Kings 21, verses 15 and 16. Ahab didn't commit the murder, but he is absolutely culpable. Look at what happens in verse 15. It says, As soon as Jezebel heard that Naboth had been stoned to death, she said to Ahab, Get up and take possession. Underline, get up and take possession of the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite, that he refused to sell to you. He's no longer alive, but he is dead. When Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, he got up and he went down to take possession of Naboth's vineyard. Stop right there for just a minute. There is no way that the story of how Naboth has died would not make its way to Ahab's ears. He knows that Jezebel is culpable. He knows that his household has taken part in this thing. And yet, for him, he is trying his best to cover it up. So what does he do? Finding out that there's a new piece of real estate available, he just tries to sashay in like nothing ever happened, and he can take over the location. If you're taking notes, right? this down. What happens when we cover up our sin instead of giving it to Jesus? Number one, people put it together eventually. Let me say that again. People put it together eventually. What we have in this circumstance is as he tries to sashay in like nothing's ever happened, there are people that are watching and they know later on what it is here that has taken place. I want to encourage you. If you are someone who is living in a cover-up state, they will figure it out eventually. Silly story, but I hope it sticks with you. Because of where we're located Every now and again, we have people who work on the hill in larger positions that end up here at the church and they'll plug in for our different discipleship programs. I'm trying to stay out of politics because that's one of our rules here at the church, but I got a really fun story to tell you. We're doing our strand class one semester. And like I always do, I tell the class on the front end, um, doing the, it's the men's strand class this particular year, and I'm telling the class this year, I said, like I always do, we're meeting together from 7 a.m. sharp to 8 a.m. sharp, and I tell the class, here's the deal. You gotta make sure that you turn off your cell phones and unplug. I said, I know some of you got those bat phones, you know, from up the hill uh, where you have to answer whenever it calls, right? You know, like Batman, you gotta answer when it calls. I said, I know you got the bat phone, but I said, I need you to turn 
turn your cell phones off. And I said, again, really plug in. I mean, on cue, we've got one guy in the group. And I mean, on cue, it's about two minutes after that. And the phone rings and you watch him stand up in front of the group and run out to the front. Well, again, the guys are just, I mean, just like, oh man, come on. They're razzing him as he runs outside, takes the phone call. Well, he had a higher position on the Hill where his direct report was the president. And so this was years ago. He comes back down to the class and it's so funny. Again, we're just sitting there and the guys are razzing him. And so then one of the guys yells out, yeah, who was that? The president? And then all of a sudden, no exaggeration, some of you were in the room when that happened. All of a sudden he goes, he says, hi, by the way, fellas. And we were like, what, really? Are you serious? Now here's what was crazy about that moment. Not only did we figure out eventually that it was the president that had called him in the middle of the class, but we also figured out later that there were major historic implications to a 7 a.m. call on that specific day. It started small, but over time, it was a whole lot bigger than just a guy stepping out to take a call in the middle of Bible study. Now listen, when it comes to stuff that we cover up in wickedness, when we try to do things the right way, over time, it's revealed in us the righteousness of Almighty God. But when we do things the wrong way but try to pitch it as righteous, over time, the lid comes off the Tupperware dish and they go, dude, that stinks. What you were a part of there, what you instigated, what you allowed in Ahab's case is something that you honestly should take responsibility for. You should apologize for this thing. With our sweet son, Jack, we watched this with him. Jack is our son who navigates autism. There is not a dishonest bone in his body. Um, sin is still ingrained in the heart of every child. Uh, but man, he is just so honest in his portrayals of just his, his actions to the world. And the Lord also, we've noticed this, the Lord won't let him lie, even if he tries. Which I mean, There's not a dishonest bone in his body. Uh, he just very much struggles with it. And so we took the kids uh, one time to Five Below. You know, Shout out to Five Below. Again, great place for parents to take kids. Everything in there is five bucks, so you can tell you kids to buy one thing and I mean that's it anyway all that to say we go to five below and our daughter Harper buys one of the uh, little it's a it's the gun that has the boxing glove on the end you know where you pull pull the trigger and boom you know it kind of shoots shoots like anyway all that to say those things break very very easily well we come back home and the toy is broken there in the living room and we walk up, and all I say is, oh, Harper bought it, my, my daughter. I picked up, and I go, oh, Harpy's punch gun is, is broken. And then all of a sudden, from across the room, Jack goes, you got me. You got me. And we're like, what? And he goes, you got me. You got me. And we were like, did you break this, son? And he goes, yes. You got me. And he just keeps saying, you got me, over and over again. And we're like, first of all, where did you hear you got me? I mean, it's like a 1920s gangster movie, you know? You got me. Anyway, all that to say, we got to sit with him and pray with him. And the peace that overtook his heart, he apologized to his sister. Harper didn't care. It was a $5 thing, right? In fact, I think it was less than $5 at the $5 store. And all of a sudden, the peace that came over him, the mercy that he received, was just so, so powerful. In 2 Kings chapter 9, save your spot in 1 Kings, flip over one book, 2 Kings chapter 9, we get to see the moment 
that the people put it together of what, what Ahab has done. Ironically, it's after Ahab's death, and a man named Jehu has been the one that the Lord has stirred up uh, to exact vengeance here. Look at what happens in 2 Kings chapter 9, verse 25. It says, Jehu said to Bidkar, his chariot officer, look at this, pick this guy up and throw him on the field that belonged to Naboth the Jezreelite. Remember how you and I were riding together in chariots behind Ahab, his father, when the Lord made this prophecy about him? Yesterday I saw the blood of Naboth and the blood of his sons, declares the Lord, and I will surely make you pay for it on this plot of ground, declares the Lord. Now then pick him up and throw him on that plot in accordance with the word of the Lord. Stop right there for just a minute. What I love about this passage right here is Naboth's vineyard, this seemingly insignificant field, this seemingly insignificant moment when you go chapters later in scripture what happens the new ruler that's going to be the new ruler in Israel king for 28 years Jehu steps up and goes you know what I remember when we were in the presidential motorcade at the back riding in our chariots and you know what it was wrong what happened on that day what was prophesied by Elijah that we're going to read about in just a moment he looks back and says that was wrong and there needs to be atonement for this awful thing that's been done. If you're taking notes, write this down. Are you ready? What happens when we cover up our sin instead of giving it to Jesus? People put it together eventually, and it begs the question, is it time that you owned the truth? Is it time that you own the truth? The first step in repentance is acknowledging your culpability in the sin. Not to say, I was set up to fail. Not to say, it wasn't going to work out anyway. Not to say, if this hadn't happened and that hadn't happened, that I was justified in my behavior. I'm telling you, part of repentance is going, you know what? I can't speak for them. I can't speak for society. I can't even speak for the laws of Almighty God. But for me personally, I screwed up. I am culpable in this circumstance. One of the reasons that you have no peace is because you don't acknowledge the truth. The next part of the passage, Ahab gives us a clinic in disregarding the truth. Are you ready for this? Look at 1 Kings chapter 21, and now let's look at verses 17 through 26. It says, Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, the Tishbite. Go down to meet Ahab, king of Israel, who rules in Samaria. He is now in Naboth's vineyard. He goes down to this insignificant field where he has gone to take possession of it. Say to him, this is what the Lord says. Have you not murdered a man and seized his property? Then say to him, this is what the Lord God says. In the place where the dogs licked up Naboth's blood, dogs will lick up your blood. Yes, yours. Stop right there for just a minute. Remember, Ahab's blood is his royal blood. So what he's saying here is the Lord says to him, his royal blood will be dog food. That's what he says there. I mean, that is a powerful statement, not from Elijah, but from almighty God to this man who is supposed to be his servant. He says his blood that he feels like is so much more important than Naboth's blood, little people like Naboth, he says his blood will be dog food. That's the word that comes from God here. Now look at what happens next. Verse 20, in response to this, Ahab says to Elijah, so you have found me, my enemy. Underline and highlight, so you have found me, my enemy. He's just been told 
that your royal blood will be dog food from the guy that called down fire from heaven when they did the showdown on Mount Carmel. I mean, if there was ever anyone in Ahab's life to speak with authority, it was Elijah at this point. He had seen him uh, pray to God that it wouldn't rain for three and a half years, and it didn't rain. The Lord redirected the weather patterns for three and a half years, and it did not rain in Samaria. He watched him call down fire from heaven with a simple prayer. And then what happens in this passage? His first thing when he says to him is, oh, Elijah, you've always had a problem with me. He's been culpable in the murder of an innocent man. Stoned and catch this because the two scoundrels speak up. He didn't just commit murder. He incited with false facts for people in his kingdom to commit murder. This situation is so filled with wickedness and Ahab can claim no fault of his own. Look at what it says. I have found you, Elijah answered, because you have sold yourself to do evil in the eyes of the Lord. Underline sold yourself. The original word there is prostituted. He said, you have prostituted yourself to do evil in the eyes of the Lord. You have truly said to the highest bidder, I will sin if you give me enough money, if you give me enough power. Verse 21, I'm going to bring disaster on you. This is the word of God. I will consume your descendants and cut off from Ahab every last male in Israel, slave or free. I will make your house like that of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, and that of Bashah, son of Ahijah, because you have provoked me to anger and you have caused Israel to sin. Underline, and you have caused Israel to sin. And also concerning Jezebel, that's his wife. The Lord says, dogs will devour Jezebel by the wall of Jezreel. Dogs will eat those belonging to Ahab who die in the city and the birds of the air will feed on those who die in the country. I want you to hear this. The reason the word dogs are used is because Ahab and Jezebel through this act have acted like their blood, their flesh is more valuable than the flesh of another human being. Verse 25, there was never a man like Ahab who sold himself to do evil in the eyes of the Lord. Urged on by Jezebel, his wife, he behaved in the vilest manner by going after idols like the Amorites whom the Lord drove out before Israel. The picture there at the end is Ahab literally chased after the ones that God had shoved out. If you're taking notes, write this down. What happens when we cover up our sin instead of giving it to Jesus? Number one, people put it together eventually. And number two, the narrative constantly has to change. The narrative constantly has to change. When you're at a point where you cannot receive your culpability in a sin, it comes to a point where you've got to keep spinning those plates you got to keep spinning that story. you got to keep pointing fingers at other people. you got to keep pushing conspiracies. Or, again, you will end up with the fingers pointing at you. Instead of just owning it, what Ahab chooses to do here is he looks and says, I know that you've called me out in the field where the sin has taken place. But he looks and says, it's just because you don't like me. Now, can I tell you this? After pastoring for quite some time, and Pastor Wayne, maybe you'd affirm this. Whenever I talk to people in a counseling session about their job struggles, I'm telling you, over the years, 
if you can't accept even the slightest bit of responsibility in a job struggle, there's not much that counseling at the church is going to be able to do for you. There are times they're out to get you. But if the Lord is allowing it to happen, take a good long look in the mirror and figure out if there is something even ever so slight that you can work on, that you can receive, because the Lord is allowing it to happen for a reason. Sometimes so that you can be the one to gloriously stand up in the midst of the mess. But if they're always wrong and you're always right, there's a real problem there. If you're taking notes, save your spot in 1 Kings and now flip over to Matthew chapter 11 and we'll read verses 28 through 30 to you. Oh, by the way, another little verse here for you. You ready? Or excuse me, another little quote here for you. Do not let your most fruitful days be spent pointing fingers, spinning stories, or pushing conspiracies. The truth will set you free. Let me say that again. Do not let your most fruitful days be spent pointing fingers, spinning stories, or pushing conspiracies. The truth will set you free. That's from the mouth of Jesus Christ himself. He says, and you shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The idea is that you are able to unburden that weight that has been set on your shoulders. Save your spot there in 1 Kings and flip over to Matthew chapter 11. In one of the most famous verses in all of scripture, here's what Jesus has to say. Matthew chapter 11, starting in verse 28. It says this, Jesus says, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened. Underline that word burdened. The idea there is those of you who are weighed down, who are shackled, who are sin-sapped. He says, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. Underline gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Why? For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The idea here is the reason so many of us try to cover up and to hide our sin and to hide our culpability is because we believe that if we bring it out into the light that the yoke that then goes on our shoulders will be so heavy it will ruin our lives when the truth is Jesus says I am humble and gentle in spirit with you it's a lie straight from the pits of hell that it is harder to take on the truth than it is to walk with the burden of the lie to walk with the burden of the cover-up. And Jesus himself says, my yoke is still a yoke, but the yoke is easy, and the burden you will carry with me is light. Why? Because when we confess and renounce, we find mercy. Mercy is a concept that we forget how important it is. Mercy is such a beautiful thing. When someone could squash you and they choose not to, when someone could destroy you and yet you find forgiveness and friendship, God is so good to us. It's why the old hymn writers wrote softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling. Calling what? Calling, O oh sinner, come home. Repent. Let's look at our last verses and we'll call it a day. By the way, it begs the question, is it time you listen to the voice of conviction? Is it time you listen to the voice of conviction? Come to me and I will give you rest. Now look at 1 Kings chapter 21 and let's read verses 27 and 28. This story is not going to end like you think it's going to. 
It's very bizarre. Look at verse 27. It says, when Ahab heard these words, he tore his clothes, he put on sackcloth, and he fasted. He lay in sackcloth and went around meekly. Now stop there for just a second. Please remember verse 25 and 26, just right above. The writer here in 1 Kings says, don't forget, this was one of the most wicked people ever to rule in Israel. He comes back right after that and says, but even the wicked man at this moment was humbled. Now verse 28, it says, then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite. Have you noticed how Ahab, how Ahab has humbled himself before me? Because he has humbled himself, I will not bring this disaster in his day, but I will bring it on his house in the days of his son. Stop there for just a minute. Did you know that even if you are wicked, that you benefit from humility? What an interesting concept. Humility is a great solution for people who are believers and for people who are not, if you are in a situation where you have screwed up. But God cannot be tricked by your behavior. There is still consequence for the wickedness of Ahab. And even though the humility benefits him, because there is no repentance, the sin falls to his son. If you're taking notes, write this down. Are you ready? What happens when we cover up our sin instead of giving it to Jesus? Number one, people put it together eventually. Number two, the narrative constantly has to change. Number three is the one that really convicted me. Are you ready? We find humility, but not repentance. We find humility, but not repentance. I don't think it was until this study that I really understood anyone can be humbled. Any one of us, whether believer in Jesus Christ or not, can experience humility on one level or another. But we are not called to be humble alone. When we sin, we are called to repent, to turn in the opposite direction and leave the sin behind. In fact, it made me think of the story of the prodigal son yet again. I told you the story last week, but remember, the prodigal son in his story tells his father, I wish you were dead. I want my inheritance. He takes the inheritance, goes and spends it on wild living. And do you remember the moment of humility for the prodigal son is when it says he is slopping the hogs. He is with the pigs. And the moment of humility is when he comes to his senses and realizes these pigs are eating better than I do. The moment of humility is realizing the pigs are in better shape than he is. The moment of repentance is when he stands up to go home. That's repentance in the story. It wasn't just, wow, the pigs eat better than I do. I really have been humble. And Jesus says, roll the credits. No, the power in the story takes place in the mercy of the father. The father receiving the son when he's still a long way off and running to him in his humility, seeing the repentance, him coming home to ask for forgiveness from his father. And what does he do? The father, when he's a long way off, runs to him, wraps his arms around him, throws throws the cloak around him, kills the fatted calf, throws the party to celebrate. That's what mercy looks like. That's what awaits us when we embrace the truth. If you don't believe me, 
It's also in the thieves on the cross. In the story of the thieves on the cross, both men are humbled. Both thieves are being crucified for crimes that they've committed. Thieves on either side of Jesus. And one received the humility but not the repentance. Hanging on the cross, what does he do? He's still got to change the narrative. Man, I may be up here humiliated and naked being crucified for my sin, but Jesus, <laughs> if you really are God, take yourself down and take me down too. <laughs> See, humbled but not repentant, where the other thief on the other side gets it. He cries out, we deserve to be up here. I own my sin. We deserve to be up here. This man has done nothing wrong. And then he cries out for mercy. Lord Jesus, when you get to your kingdom, would you just remember my name? And then Jesus gives him everything. He says, today you'll be with me in paradise. Come home. There are some of you who have been humbled. You're not special because you're humbled. Anyone can be humbled. Anyone will be humbled. We're special as believers in Jesus Christ because we repent. We come home. If you're taking notes, write this down. Humility is a crossroads. Choose the path of righteousness. Humility is a crossroads. Choose the path of righteousness. I want to read to you a powerful verse here, Proverbs 28, 13. Great verse to memorize if you're walking this path. Proverbs 28, 13 says this. It says, he who conceals his sin does not prosper, but whoever confesses and renounces them finds mercy. Let me say it again. He who conceals his sin does not prosper, but whoever confesses and renounces them finds mercy. I got a good story to tell you, and we'll close today. I felt so convicted after writing this message. I've told you guys a story over the years, and I've told the truth about it. One of the worst things I ever did in my whole life, something I have always carried regret with, is after um, I had dated someone for three and a half years, we got engaged, we broke off the engagement, and I was in pretty rough shape. But I had some friends that I connected with after that, and two guys in particular, and one of them was getting married the same summer that I would have gotten married. And he asked me if I'd be a groomsman in his wedding. I went and got fitted for the tuxedo, I got ready. I was 21 years old at the time. I got fitted for the tuxedo. I told him I would be there. But then when the day of the wedding came, I didn't show up. How hateful is that? Now I had my reasons, just like Eve in the garden. I was in a dark place. It was just a few months after my botched engagement. It was the first wedding I'd gotten invited to. It was at the time when I should have been getting married in my head. But you don't do that. The part of the story I don't typically tell is that I had gotten my friend a job at Red Lobster. We worked together too. And I'd gotten him a job at Red Lobster. And when he came back from the honeymoon, the first time we saw each other was working a shift together at the back at Red Lobster. And he didn't want to speak to me, and I got it. I remember that day I wanted to cover up 
for why I wasn't there. So I began to try to spin a story. I didn't fully understand all the trauma that I was navigating either. I was only 21. And I remember I made $50 waiting tables that night. And I gave it to him. Like I was trying to buy him off. How silly. And I remember he took it. He put it in his pocket. And he just walked off. Like you really think that this is what I want instead of you being there? That was the last time he and I ever spoke. Until yesterday. I reached out to my friend. And I begged for forgiveness. I asked for mercy. And you know what's nuts? He responded in two hours on a Saturday through Facebook. (laughs) (laughs) He apologized for his role. He said, I can't believe 18 years has passed. He said, I should have reached out to you and let you unburden that. I told him he'd done nothing wrong. I was the one who'd done wrong. He said, I'd been carrying sin myself over these years. Come home. (laughs) Ask for mercy. I turned 40 this year, and so I'm going through a lot of those emotions. Some of you have turned 40, so you know. (laughs) Looking back on my life, there's some loose ends. Can I tell you a secret? God don't like loose ends. God don't like loose ends. My Bible says he who started the work will be faithful to complete it in you. I pitch to you today. Is it time you repented? Is it time that you sought mercy? That you stopped pointing fingers? That you stopped spinning plates? But you came to a point where you truly allowed the Lord to let forgiveness take hold in you. For him to wrap you in that beautiful robe. For him to kill the fatted calf. And for him to bring you peace. Thanks for listening today, guys. Let's bow our heads for prayer.